is again I believe that the music I heard is a killer it's a killer of hope it's a killer of spirit and Devo plays for Muffy's party we bring you an act who at first may shock you the mystic knights of the Oingo Boingo Let's go! Hey everybody, I'm Rob. And I'm Joseph. Welcome to part one of the December 1979 edition of Deep Dives and Deep Cuts, a history of punk, post-punk, and new wave, 1976 to 1986. So we're wrapping the sucker up. The year and the decade ends with neither a bang nor a whimper, maybe a mild yelp? Yeah. Yeah, I think Yelp. That's right. <laughs> Yelp. <laughs> you know, typically our December rundown episodes are a bit of a ragtag affair, and this season is no exception. Of course, we'll be covering the December 79 releases, then we'll move on to the rest of the unknown release dates. Um, you know, albums that were released in 79, we're just uh-huh. not sure when. Uh, but first, we've got a little November 79 catch-up to do. Uh, we've oh, yeah. got two releases from Australian bands that didn't pop onto our radar uh, quite in time for inclusion in the appropriate episode. So we're going to take care of that now. Uh, let's kick things off with a cut from the debut album from the Australian shock rock band called Jimmy and the Boys. This is other side. Like a deep sea reptile, I plumb the lower depths. Grey eyed housewives, terminally depressed. Street light glare shows withering whore. Paint feelings from a lift won't get much anymore. Old women cough, smoke cheap cigarettes. Grimy migrants bore themselves to death. Aging queens, grey showing at the roots. Yeah, there's a lot going on in this episode, like there's a lot going on in every episode, but you're right, it's uh, it's not a, a whimper or a bang. I mean, there's some really solid stuff in here, and, and of course some stuff that, that I hadn't heard, but I gotta say, I'm, I'm kind of stoked that we tossed in a couple from November that we uh, that we might have missed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, this is a this is a fun kind of all over the place uh, group of bands. Um, nothing awful. Uh, a couple of truly great albums, and just some kind of weird off the yeah. past stuff, which is always a little bit of very fun. Um, yeah, you know, Jimmy Jimmy and the Boys. That's a perfect example of this sort of like weird off the beaten path sort of bands that we're going to be talking about. Yeah. I love, I love that stuff. (laughs) (laughs) The weird shit. (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah. Well, we got uh, our usual bit of business to um, kick things off with before we jump back into Jimmy and the boys. First things first, I want to remind everybody that we are talking about music. Music is art, and there is nothing more subjective than art. This is an opinion show, but even so, we do try to be mindful not to get too opinionated. Because ultimately we are here to celebrate this extraordinary music that was produced during a pretty unique period of time. Unique period of time, Rob. That's your cue. All right. What was going on December <laughs> Well, 79? Luckily, a bunch of stuff that I actually remember. Um, <laughs> so in December of 1979, the number one U.S. songs were No More Tears, Enough is Enough, by Barbara Streisand and Donna Summer. And I distinctly remember the the cover of that album. Um, Escape, the Pina Colada song, you might remember that one by Rupert Holmes. Also notable movies were Star Trek The Motion Picture, 1941, The Jerk, Being There, The Electric Horseman, Kramer vs. Kramer, All That Jazz, and The Black Hole. All those movies I have seen, two of them I stood in line at the movie theater just to watch. So, What, what an extraordinary... Um bunch of movies to come it, out in one month i think so i mean you've got yeah. some amazing comedies some some fantastic drama uh you know some science fiction films and i don't know yeah being being there is is one of my all-time favorite movies. amazing film yeah. yeah yeah uh also we had some u.s tv debuts uh well one notable which was knots landing that forever long running Nighttime soap opera. That's uh, right. It all started here. <laughs> it all started here. <laughs> Notable events were uh, the bo board game Trivial Pursuit was created and Soviet forces invaded Afghanistan. Now, I remember playing Trivial, Trivial Pursuit, but I didn't realize it came from 1979. So there you have it. Boy, we, we have got so many albums to cover, um, <laughs> but there is... There's one more point of business before we jump jump into it. We gotta we gotta pour one out, right, Rob? Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure, absolutely. Um, as of the recording, this we are currently recording on December twentieth, December eighteenth, day before yesterday. Uh, Terry Hall, uh, lead singer of the Specials, passed away. So uh, I really think that we needed to make some kind of some kind of notice that that Terry's passed because Terry was pretty young. He was like in his early sixties, I think. He was like sixty-two or so. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, fairly fairly young guy, and I think uh, you know, I think he needed some kind of recognition. Well, it is um, kind of timely for us because we just recently um, uh, spent a fair amount of time talking about their debut album, and I anticipate we are going to talk and hear more from that album yeah. uh, when we get into the best of because it's going to... It's it's gonna show up on lists. It is a, a mighty mighty album, um, and uh, in no small part of obviously due to Terry Hall. So he yeah. is he is a, a giant among men when it comes to um, you know icons in the post punk new wave ska movement. Absolutely, sure. absolutely. All right, so moving into Jimmy and the Boys. 
Yeah, so we are uh, doing a little time travel back to November for these first two albums. They're both Australian um, bands. We heard one song from Jimmy and the Boys. So let's learn who who are these Jimmys and the Boys. <laughs> Jimmy and the Boys. Well, uh, so so they're an Australian band, like you said. They they formed in 1976 and they lasted till I think 1982. Uh, Jimmy and the Boys was one of the first shock rock bands in Australia. And I, I gotta say, man, when I learned that Jimmy and the Boys was a shock rock, I was like, I gotta I gotta hear this, this stuff, you know. Um, it's it's pretty wild. <laughs> they had two <laughs> studio albums, um, not like everybody else, and 1981's uh, Teddy Boy's Picnic. They had trouble getting their first album off the ground, apparently, due to obscenity. Um, but Fest Festival Records uh, kicked off an imprint called Avenue Records just so that they could handle Jimmy and the Boys. And Jimmy and the Boys, they were pretty outrageous. When this album was suggested to us. Yeah. I had to do a little research just to to verify that it was appropriate for us to include. Yeah. And, um, you know, so I read, oh, shock rock, new wave band, and that was probably as far as I got. So when I sat down to actually listen to this album for the first time, mm -hmm. um, the first couple of songs, I was like, maybe it was just like a stage thing because yeah. <laughs> the, the first two songs were, were sounding pretty, um, you know, pretty typical, nothing terribly offensive. Right. And then you get to the third out song and you go, Oh, okay. Got it. Got yes. it. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, so they, they did have trouble getting their, their album off the ground. Um, and they were created to be outrageous, outrageous and obscene. And it was, I mean, sure, it was the music and the lyrics, but very much so, like you suggested, their stage presence was insanity. So, um, you know, I, th I think it's a great marketing angle, really, if you want to if you want to do that. But I kind of worry that that kind of behavior is um, kind of putting a, a time limit on your your fame. You know what I mean? Um that big and that that kind of obscene and you know outrageous. It I worry that that kind of thing can burn out quickly. But well, I mean, uh, the whole world, everyone in the world knows about Jimmy and the Boys, so that obviously yeah. didn't happen. This is true. This is true. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, um, you know, they they to me, I mean, they were basically like the. Uh, uh, the, the the new wave Rocky Horror Picture Show, you know, and they were putting out albums, and that's pretty cool. So um, I really like the sound of this band, and, and they they kind of incited something in me when I first heard them. Um, I watched their videos, and I got to say that the the theatrics is definitely in their work. Yeah, yeah. So. Well, I was, I was worried about this album because I – was thinking, oh, you know, it's going to be subpar music, just an excuse for them to be outrageous on stage. But that's that's not the case. And, you know, we have heard as f as far as like music goes and the the energy and unhinged qualities yeah. of of some of the albums that we've listened to uh, much, much wilder musically than 
anything on this album. The music is pretty solid, straightforward. I mean, we're we're hearing. I'm not talking lyrics, obviously, mm-hmm. but um, just the um, the music itself is not uh, particularly adventuresome or avant-garde sounding. I mean, we've got punk, funk, disco, glam rock, boogie woogie, and cock rock. A lot of cock rock. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but it's it, it's all done. Uh, really, just uh, I was surprised at how um, well more than competent. How 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 really professionally done. It was as far as the, it's not sloppy. It's not unhinged no, or anything. Not at all. So. Not at all. It's it's definitely structured and, and intentional. Um, Jimmy and the boys, I got to say, uh, when I started learning about them, I was worried that they were going to be something like a cross between Jim Morrison of the Doors in Attitude and, and the Sex Pistols just kind of, you know, mm. creating havoc. And I, it's funny because... There is this this kind of controlled chaos that they create, and it's mm-hmm. pretty sweet. They're totally competent. Um, I, I watched an interview that uh, with Ignatius, and he was asked what his Ignatius, by the way, the lead singer, uh, Iggy, he, he asked what his favorite moment of 1980 was, and he rolled his eyes and said that Elton John told him he was going to scratch his eyes out, and mm-hmm. <laughs> which I thought was hysterical. It came from the fact that they were actually at a uh, they were on tour. They were at a concert or something, and Iggy walked by Elton John and he scratched the top of Elton's hair and said, "Ooh, it's not holding, is it?" And Elton John looked at him and says, "I'll scratch your eyes out." Um, but anyway, I like that kind of that kind of energy and that kind of attitude. Um, but there are just so many bands throughout history that this was their downfall, and it doesn't seem to be the case for for Jimmy and the Boys. It's part of their thing. So yeah. Well, I mean, a, a lot of this music is very, it, it almost sounds like, a lot of the songs almost sound like they could be, um, you know, musical numbers in a, yeah, absolutely. In a rock opera or something. Yeah. Um, so the first song that we heard off of this album, Other Side, was your pick. Yeah. Um, my pick is the last song on the album um, called products of your mind and there is um it's it's a pretty cool song but i just i think it's funny because there is more than just a little bit of like the village people like ymca (laughs) type vibes going on in this (laughs) in this which i i just thought was kind of funny it's you know the the um the band the musicians are pretty um musically well-versed at, at, uh, you know, there's, there's nothing particularly schizophrenic about this album, but they're, you know, they're jumping around from glam to disco to funk. Um, so it's pretty fun. It's not, I, I, I don't find this album particularly engaging, but it is, um, I'm glad that I, I've, experienced it and I, yeah, I know that sure. it exists so so let's go ahead and listen to um, my pick a song called products of your mind we are the players in a game which no one 
this song back to back with my song, the song I picked, is exactly what you said. They they jump around. There's so much variety in this mm-hmm. album. And I like this one a lot because there's so much vocally happening. Yeah, um, yeah. It is it's pretty strong. It's it's a fun song. Yeah, uh, yeah. And you know, um <clears throat> another reason why I gravitated towards this song was because it was for a long time, it was bugging me because it was reminding me of another band, and I, I was having a hard time putting my finger on it. Uh, and it wasn't until just a couple of hours ago, uh, last time I listened to this playlist when I was, you know, at work, um, that I realized this song in particular really reminds me of Dead or Alive. You know, oh, Dead or Alive. Yeah, yeah, you, totally. You spin me right round, baby, right. right round, like a record, baby, right round, round, round. So well, this is uh, like 10 years, well, not quite 10 years, um, more like five five or six years before that sound comes into play. There, It also sounds like, you know, what The Damned is going to sound like in a couple of years as well. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, so that was Jimmy and the Boys' debut album, um, Not Like Everybody Else. And uh, while I enjoyed it quite a bit, and I'm glad we we listened to it, and I'll probably give this album a few more few more spins. I don't think it's going to hit my top ten list. Actually, I can tell you right now, it's not going to, just because 1979 is a huge year, and there's so much mm-hmm. good music. But mm-hmm. what do you think, Joseph? Well, I mean, it, it's fun. Uh, I do not find it particularly engaging um but it's a it's a good set there's there's no doubt about that um i doubt that there are many people outside of australia that are even aware that this band exists and so if it shows up on anybody's list it's going to be an an aussie yeah, we're going to know where you live. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, thanks. Uh, I'm, just, I'm just so glad. Thanks uh, Thanks for putting it on this list because I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, let's move on to the second November 79 release um, from an Australian band that we're playing catch up on. That is a band called Mental As Anything, an album called... Well, I think originally it was it was just eponymously titled, but it's also known as Get Wet. And this was a band that was suggested to us, and I went, oh, they sound vaguely familiar. I went and looked them up and took a look at the album covers that they released and went, oh, wait a minute. I had two of these albums when nice. I was growing up. And why didn't I remember them at all? I like I rem I remember the visuals, but I couldn't remember the music at all. I couldn't even remember like listening to them. And then I went and listened to this album and remembered why. Oh, <laughs> I completely and totally <laughs> forgot about them. <laughs> um, so not not. Uh, this is not a bad album. It's it's the debut album. Um, but I've been struggling with how to um, articulate my feelings about this band and why it just absolutely leaves me cold. Uh, and I think the best way to do that is to talk about the way that my dad makes soup. 
Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> you ready for this? Oh, I am. Yeah. <laughs> so my <clears throat> dad is a little notorious for being, um, let's let's say he's he's a reckless cook. Um, so the way that he made soup when we were kids was he was like, oh, I'm making a soup now. He'd throw open the, the refrigerator door and take any leftover he could find and just pour it in a pot. So you like day old salad goes in the soup. Um, some lasagna goes in the soup. You know, whatever he could find went in the soup. And then he would just cook it up, and then that was the soup. And hope so it we was were, good. <laughs> we were not big fans of Dad's soup, but huh. <laughs> ever you know, some, sometimes you, it, they it would just taste awful because because they were they were just clashing flavors. But more often than not, the the all of the the different flavors like canceled each other out and so the soups would come out really bland that's kind of how i feel about about this album um nah. it doesn't you know they and i'm not talking like song to song but just within each song it just it feels like there's too many influences and and they don't quite seem to have a musical um opinion about anything or or point of view and so it's just like a lot of different styles just kind of mixed together to make this i find this album incredibly bland excruciatingly bland yeah. <laughs> and um <laughs> i am gonna leave it at that so i'm gonna throw it over to you hopefully you have some nice things to say ab about this I mean, well it's, yeah it's not it's not bad it's not incompetent but um yikes i i will say that it's not my favorite album but i i kind of wanted to address that in, in 1979 there were some new wave bands that were still sounding a lot like 60s and 70s pop bands um <laughs> and for this band that that sounds kind of hard to shake and it's like not it, it, to me it just feels like yeah, there's nothing really special about the band there's nothing special mm -hmm. about the sound of this album um and and i it was hard to pick a song as far as which one i wanted to play because to me they all were just okay you know they all kind of sounded sounded like this they had this 60s 70s kind of pop jingly sound to it but um yeah, you know, they, they toured with Rockpile, Dave Edmond, and Nick Lowe, and that's, uh -huh. that sounds like a pretty good fit Yeah, uh, to yeah. me. N none of those artists are artists that I'm particularly um, in you love know, with. But... You know Nick Lowe killed it. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, I also thought a lot of, when I was listening to this album, I also thought a lot about Warren Zeon. Um, I kind of got some of those vibes too you know Who i love by the way i, th I think he's oh, you great. Do. yeah yeah i do okay all right but but overall i mean i i would like in a nutshell i would say that this is pretty straightforward like pop rock with a with sort of new wave highlights mm -hmm. yeah yeah that sounds about right and and i mean there's nothing wrong with that mm -hmm. really it, it's just it 
it was, I didn't find it spectacular and it sounds like you didn't either. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so much so that, I mean, all of these songs just, I was completely indifferent about. So I, I just defer, deferred to you uh, to pick the song. So so tell me what you landed on. Well, the song that I picked was uh, Empty Hearts and Open Wounds. It's these empty hearts, the oh, oh, open wounds. A vacant green refrigerated rooms, empty hearts and open wounds. It's these empty hearts, oh, oh, open wounds. I see you last week with a pants of green. I did I see you last week? I said that it was difficult to pick a song from this album, but I mean, it, and it was, but this I did ultimately find to be the most interesting and there was to be honest nothing in it tells me that it is the best song or the greatest song but it stuck in my ear and it and it was kind of an earworm for a little while i had the jingle in my head and couldn't shake it um again it's it's not an amazing album and it's you know not one of the greatest songs but but uh i did kind of I don't know. I did kind of gravitate towards this. I just, I cannot tell you why. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I couldn't tell you why either. This, <laughs> this is, I, I feel about this the way that I feel about uh, the entire album. So they, the uh, mental as anything releases quite a few albums mm-hmm. and um, hopefully they're um, as they go along, they get a little bit more engaging. They kind of develop more of a musical point of view. We'll, we'll see about that. <clears throat> not a, not, not a fan over here. Not a fan mm-hmm. at all. Yeah. No here. So that is mental as anything's debut album uh, known both as mental as anything and also as get wet. And, um, yeah, not, not in consideration <laughs> for either of us. It doesn't sound no, like No, no, pray not. Okay, let's move on to December, the main event. Let's get ready to rumble. Well, I got to say, we're starting December off with one band that I have really come to enjoy, like, quite a bit. Uh, we're talking about Japan, and this is their album, Quiet Life. We've already heard from Japan, of course. By 1979, they had two previous albums, Adolescent Sex and Obscure Alternatives. This is their third album, Quiet Life. It was it was a bit of a departure from their glam rock. Well, I say a bit of a departure. It was quite a departure from their glam rock sound and kind of became the new wave sound with synth, mm-hmm. this great synth pop sound to it. Um it was also their first album to chart, by the way, and later on it actually did go gold. So it was quite an album for them. Uh, Quiet Life was released in 1979 in some countries and apparently 1980 in other countries. So you might say that with their new sound, they ended and began a whole new decade, which is, I think, quite a feat. 
their singles off of this album were Quiet Life and All Tomorrow's Parties. But as much as I like a great Velvet Underground cover, I got to say I'm not crazy about that one. I just, just wasn't crazy about it. Uh, the first thing I noticed upon listening to this is a sound that I'd later attribute to Duran Duran. And I think, of course, we already talked about this, that, that uh, Duran Duran was highly influenced by Japan. So it it this band and actually this album is quickly becoming, you know, a really big album for me. I, I really attached myself to it and I love it. Um, now, they have a, like their single on this. There was a single on this album that they had produced by Giorgio Moroder and. At some point, they decided that they didn't want him to do the entire album. So they had uh, John Punter and Simon Napier Bell and themselves produce the album. But um, it, it was a good thing because that, that song, Life, Life in Tokyo, the song that they had him produce, it was not like the rest of the album. It didn't really shape that sound that they ended up killing it with. So it was kind of a nice thing that that, that he didn't do that. But um, but yeah, how are you? How are you feeling about Japan? You're a fan of Japan, aren't you? I am. Um, you know, the first two albums I really uh, latched onto their funk because I just love funk. Because mm -hmm, that's you know, how you it are. Was, yeah. yeah, but I wasn't. You know, the part of me that loved those two albums wasn't the the sixteen year old new wave kid, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, so this album is a revelation to me I, I mean really it's like for years and years um uh, among certain groups of of new wave fans particularly new romantic um mm -hmm. fans japan is is spoken of in sort of hushed tones highly revered and i've i've just been kind of like scratching my head as we go through these um, very uh, fun, but not particularly brilliant sort of uh, glam funk, post-punk albums. Here, I get it. I mean, here they they sound way ahead of the curve. Um, yeah. You know, they are turning to Roxy Music and taking their cues from Roxy Music, but doing it in uh you know with their own spin um some of these songs on here it's i have to remind myself that i'm not listening to duran duran right right um, i i'm not like a super huge duran duran fan so and because of that i'm not familiar with their entire catalog but there are a, a few songs off of this album that are better Duran Duran songs than Duran Duran ever did. <laughs> here, here. Well, I, I got to say, I remember when we talked about Japan in the past and how we mentioned that Duran Duran was influenced by Japan, I remember cocking my head a bit going, really? Because I mm. definitely don't see that. But with this album, it is unmistakable. And, uh, and I almost... seriously... Almost yeah. uncanny. <laughs> uncanny. Well, that's that is true, um, and I, 
it's funny because with the song that you'll hear in a minute here, the one that I picked, um, as soon as I started listening to that song, I'm like, this is totally Duran Duran. And I, I would get that song stuck in my head and somehow my brain would morph it into a Duran Duran tune. And mm. that's the song that would be in my head the rest of the day. <laughs> so, yeah. But Okay, so what song did you pick? I picked In Vogue. I think my pick even outdoes your pick when it comes to Duran sounding Duran Duran. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, uh, this this song Halloween is uh, frankly I am shocked that you didn't pick Halloween. I was uh -huh. convinced it was like oh everything this song has everything that uh -huh. Rob loves. Well, don't um, think it don't think it wasn't a choice at first yeah. because it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but you know it's what's funny about that is is that I I picked in vogue knowing that it was a big title and I just felt like this is where they stand up and say, okay, this is Japan. This is mm. kind of the sound we want. Mm. And, and David Sylvain's vocals, like, especially because they're slow and moody in this song, were just so cool. Um, yeah. When, when we get to Halloween, your pick, that is more of a Rob song than the song I picked. So <laughs> you're absolutely right. <laughs> okay, well, let's let's get to Halloween now. Halloween is actually my favorite song on the album. And uh, <laughs> it, you know, the, the horns and the synth, and again, David Sylvain's vocals, just very cool, man. Uh, also, the high energy in this song. I just, I absolutely love it. And as soon as I realized you picked it, I got totally excited. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> cheers to you. Well, it, as much as I enjoyed their their first two albums, um, uh, you know, the word visionary uh, was not 
a word that I I would use to describe either of those albums, but that is probably the first word that mm-hmm. I would use to to describe this album. I mean, don't get me wrong, I I don't love this album, but I am sort of gobsmacked by it. You know, yeah. I am impressed by it. I I don't I I as far as like personal enjoyment, I I don't think it's as good an album as a lot of the stuff that was released in 1979. But as mm-hmm. far as like being a mile marker, oh yeah, absolutely. Hey, a uh, little um, uh, public service announcement here for anyone who is uh, not that familiar with um, Japan and is thinking about uh, diving into them more. Um, there are some bands where it's entirely appropriate for you to start with a best of album. And then there are some bands like Japan where you are, you would be doing yourself the biggest disservice to get a best of album. That's how I started out with Japan. Maybe, um, I don't know, five or 10 years ago and just stopped because Mm -hmm. this is not, this is a band that just like, it goes from album to album and the sound keeps evolving and changing and you put one or two tracks mm-hmm. next to on a on a best of next to tracks from other albums and it just becomes this unholy mess what, what but, you get what you get is joseph's dad soup yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah no that's that's exactly right thank you way to way to bring it back around. That's exactly right. It, that hadn't occurred to me. So, um, gosh, I'm, I'm really happy that my dad absolutely will never, ever listen to <laughs> this podcast. Well, he's Although, a fantastic guy. Either way, he's, he's a good yeah, guy. Well, <laughs> you just can't cook he, a good soup. <laughs> he, he grew up with, with me and my siblings, so he knows how we feel about yeah. <laughs> his his soups making strategies. But yeah, so but anyways, we were talking about Japan and quiet life. Yeah, so um, just kind of blown away by this album, of course, and um, you know, this like I like I said, this is their third album. Um, they've hit some new ground and I'm just going to flat out and come and say this album is pretty much, you're going to see it on my top 10 someplace. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Yeah. This is, I, I'm speaking of top 10 lists, just I'm drowning over here. Yeah. And, um, this is one I've, as I'm, I'm still kind of where I was before where I've got the three slots left open and, uh, I have to pick between ten or fifteen albums, and this is this is one of them. This is a pretty strong contender. All right. Well, yeah, fantastic. Definitely a strong album. All right. So, what do we have next on our list? Well, speaking of strong contenders, I believe at um, at the beginning of this season when we did our predictions. Um, my prediction for the number one slot for uh, 1979 
The Clash's third album, London Calling, the uh, mighty, mighty London Calling. Yeah. What can I say about this this album? This album looms large um, over just, you know, any year um, when it comes to punk, post-punk, new wave. This is, the, you know, this is, this is one of the biggies. Um, of course, it was a double album. Um, mm-hmm. the probably the the most uh, famous songs off of this are the title track London Calling, Lost in the Supermarket, and Train in Vain. We in season one we spent an episode um, talking about the albums of the Clash, so we of course spent some time. Uh, listening to some songs off of this album, we have currently heard Ruby Can't Fail, The Right po- Profile, and Guns of Brixton. Um, so London Calling, um, the song, Rolling Stone thinks it's the 15th greatest song of all time, and that Train in Vain is the 292nd greatest song of all time, and that the album itself is the eighth greatest album of all time according wow. to Rolling Stone magazine. Holy smokes. We yeah. we both love this album. Um mm-hmm. I I think you know how I feel about double albums. Um I every dumb, double album, every great double album um I come across, I just I can't help but think Imagine how much better this would be if they had trimmed out like a third to a half of the weaker songs. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think the the biggest mark against this album is the fact that there's just too many damn songs. Yeah, yeah. Well, you cut you cut a, a, a double album in half, and you cut out the weakest songs. Of course, what you end up with is a still a really amazing album. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah. with no weak songs. I mean, that's yeah. that's. But yeah, sure enough. I just, I I don't feel like I have any. Well, I never feel like I have anything particularly profound to say. Period. But particularly about this album, I mean, uh, there's there's no insight that I'm going to be able to provide to anyone. So I say we just <laughs> listen to a couple of songs. Yeah. Um, acknowledge that this is one of the most revered uh, post-punk albums ever made, and then we'll probably move on. So. Um, so many songs to pick off of yeah. this album. What uh, what did you land on? I picked a song that, well, okay, well, of course, uh, I think you, well, you know that this is one of my favorite albums. Um, mm-hmm. Love the Clash. London Calling is one of my favorite songs in the, like, ever. Um, mm-hmm. And never gets old. And it never gets old. It's not even, it's not, doesn't even feel dated. It never gets yep. old. So I picked a song that I am, least familiar with something that I mean you know it's a double album so there's got to be some on there that I never hear really right or or that I skip past when I'm playing it on the CD player um, but I picked Hateful well I got a friend who's the man what man the man who keeps me from believing he gives me what I need what you got I need it 
when we did our deep dive on The Clash and we were discussing this album, um, mm. you know, the one of one of the things that makes this album great is the sort of intangible alchemy between um, and chemistry between Joe Strummer and Mick Jones. Yeah, um, for sure. And in that episode we were intentionally picked songs off of this album that kind of reflected the 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 two sensibilities it's happening here again tonight but it was unintentional so the song that you picked big joe strummer um mm -hmm. uh, attitude and the song i picked Lovers Rock, um, much more um, Mick Jones. And <laughs> I, I think we did the exact same thing we the did. last time we talked about this album. So you're yeah. you're a Joe Strummer kind of a guy, and apparently I'm more of a Mick Jones kind of a guy. Yeah, yeah. That, is, that, that is the way of it, apparently. <laughs> yeah, well, right. I, I enjoyed this song a lot because I like the rowdiness of it, and I think that's where... That's yeah. where the Joe Strummer energy is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's let's slip into a little uh, Mick Jones energy with uh, Lovers Rock. You think you love a girl right. You want a man? Lovers Rock. You must know a place you can kiss. Make Lovers Rock. good it's good i like it it's cheerful it's definitely poppy and maybe too poppy for stuff that i really love but um it's not generally how i like my clash i will say this i do like this song but to me it's it, it turns the clash into they're not they're not the clash they're more like the cuddles you know it's <laughs> <laughs> well the 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 saving grace of this song is that um even though it's written as a pop song it's not mm -hmm. really it's not exactly executed as a pop song well, it's got yeah. this like unbalanced sort of off kilter energy to it which um which really adds the you know the magic ingredient to yeah. um, to to me kind of loving loving that this song um so so many great songs to pick from off of an album with so many songs. Yes, it. absolutely. <laughs> too long, too long. That's always going to be my criticism about this album. Gee, I wonder if this is going to show up on any list. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's definitely on mine. I will I will tell yeah, you that. I already yeah. know that for sure. I mean, uh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so the next album we're going to cover is a band called Essential Logic, and their album is Beat Rhythm News. So Essential Logic came around in 1978, and they were formed by Laura Logic of the X-Ray Specs, um, and they had, they had an album 
before they split in 19... This was the one album they had before they split in 1980, but they reformed in 2001 and recorded two more. So so they gave it the try. Um, this album, Beat Rhythm News, it reached number 11 in the UK indie charts. Online magazine Pop Matters put it at number 34 in their 50 best post-punk album ever, which is kind of cool. And uh, I... I had never heard of this band, honestly. I had no idea that Lord Logic went on to to do Essential Logic. Um, one of the fun things about this band, about this this album, is that there's a lot of saxophone in it, and uh, I don't know. I'm I'm curious to see what you what you think about all the sax in this album, Joseph. Mm-hmm. When we talked about. X-Ray Specs um, debut album, you know, I, um, I was, I never heard X-Ray Specs mm-hmm. album and was really mostly familiar with Oh Bondage Up Yours and yeah. kind of like apprehensive about diving into that album because Oh Bondage Up Yours has those out-of-tune saxes that mm-hmm. were just driving me crazy. And then <laughs> mm-hmm. I just, like, was so happy when I actually listened to the first X-Ray Specs album because it had saxes, but they were all in tune. And then I, then I realized, oh, it's because the original saxophone player, Laura Logic, from uh, Oh Bondage Up Yours, did not appear on the <laughs> the X-ray specs debut album. Mm-hmm. So missing the out of tune saxes on the X-ray specs and here well, they are. <laughs> yeah, well it's 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 interesting too because Laura Logic of course is the uh, is the the, the vocals um, and uh, David Wright of course, is the resident sax player. Although there is more than one sax playing, and I imagine that it is Laura Logic playing playing sax as well. But it's almost like they're these two dueling saxophones. <laughs> they they try to line up and sync as well as they can, but yeah, it gets kind of it gets kind of wonky in there. Well, I mean, we we have speculated, and I I think it's probably true that um the the approaches to the Saxes that Laura Logic, her sensibility is that she likes saxophone that sounds like that, which is totally legit. Yeah, it's it's hard for me to get past because I just find it annoying. (laughs) Um, But anyways, there. This is not a primarily a saxophone album. This is a uh, post punk album with lots and lots of vocals. Laura Logic is doing the vocals, so let's let's talk about just the 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 music in general off of this album. Um pretty unhinged, pretty mm-hmm. punk, um yeah. pretty art rock, which is um uh great in the abstract. Um I I don't I think to be able to pull this off, you have to be pretty brilliant. And I, I don't think that it's quite there, but um, there's a lot of, a lot of interesting kind of the, the energy is great. Um, I, the songwriting 
is um, very hyper and schizophrenic and there's so many different parts in every song and it jumps from this tempo to that tempo and um can you do you know what any of the songs are about i i just i don't i don't i i don't think i could ever like make out what she was saying i have no idea what the lyrics are for these it's, songs it's it's really hard to pin down i i, I yeah. will say that i think a lot of the um a lot of what goes on in these songs on this album was intentional, you know, yeah. and we've yep. talked about how a lot of these bands were, uh, you know, the man members were art, art school students yeah, as well. Sure. She, and she was as well. And she, you mm-hmm. know, had started the band when she just got out of art school. So a lot of that is intentional and it's performative. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, pushing boundaries. I mean, that's, you know, that's great, but, but you, you have to be really disciplined. Um, to uh, push boundaries and what am I trying to say to, to push boundaries and then be able to step back and determine what's working and what isn't, you mm-hmm. know, that's what's, that's what separates the pair ubus and the wires from, mm-hmm. um, you know, everybody else or the slits. Another great example. Now you, you talk about the, the lyrics of the songs and you'll notice that, uh, when we get to my song, it's very little lyrics. <laughs> there are very little lyrics, very few lyrics yeah. in my my choice. But yep. um, anyway, what song did you pick? I picked Shabby Abbott. Um, it is, um, I think this is one of the songs where the gambit is is paying off um still lots of different parts but everything is kind of falling in place for me so i I think this is a a good example of um this approach absolutely working i i really do like this that shabby abbott shows off this uh like very theatrical flair and that seems to be a little bit of a theme for this mm. for this episode <laughs> so that was a good choice i enjoyed it too you I, know I, I thought it, was it fun. just occurred to me um i bet um uh, that our buddy uh richard temple likes uh-huh. essential logic that just yeah. i i i've no reason to believe that other than just kind of uh, the little I know about his sensibilities. Yeah. It's I, no, it's, it's definitely, I don't think I've ever heard him talk about it, but I, it's mm, definitely up his alley. This is his kind of mm, thing for sure. As you mentioned, the song that you picked, uh, very few vocals, 
so much saxophone. <laughs> I don't. I don't. Well, <laughs> I was. I was a little surprised to hear you say that there were vocals on this at all. Must yeah. be towards the end because I've never gotten all the way through the song. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm. I'm looking back at it now, and I'm like, wait a minute. There must. There must have been some talking at the beginning, or I don't remember. Maybe it's not. Maybe there are no vocals. Um, but I really. I guess I should just come out and say it. I picked World Friction, and mm. I I picked it because of the sax. I just dig that there's plenty of sax here. And and by plenty I mean a lot. I know that uh the word plenty doesn't come to your mind when you when you listen to this song. <laughs> Maybe too much. Um but I I really kind of think it's cool to hear that that this kind of coalition of saxophones or collaboration of saxophones is taking place between Laura Logic and David Wright. Um and it's, I don't know, I just found it kind of cool to see what, what they did with it. Um, yeah. And it's, you know, it's not my, one of my favorite songs ever, but I did find it quite different than the rest of the album. So I thought I'd pull it out. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's funny. It reminds me of, um, I, I think you know this about me. I, in middle school and high school, I played trumpet. I was uh -huh. a trumpet player. Not, not very good. Um, and then you know, years, several years later, uh, once me and my buddy were starting to record music, every once in a while I'd pull out the trumpet and just sort of like lay down some stuff. And um, there's one song in particular uh, where the trumpet was just really out of, out of tune and the guy who was producing uh, that cut was like, Oh, we gotta keep it in. We got. I'm like, it's out of tune, and he goes, "No, it's not out of tune. It's emotional." <laughs> and so I think of, when I when I listen to this song, I go, "Oh, that's some emotional saxophone." Emotional sax. That's what it is. That's right. <laughs> it's not out of tune. It's emotional. <laughs> wow. <laughs> well. Uh, as fun as I found this album, I have to say that, unfortunately, uh, it's not going to make my top 10 list or my top 20 list or probably even my top 50. But, uh, you know, I'm glad we got to hear it. Yeah, this is a this is an album that I want to like uh, because it's it's got that great energy that when everything is gelling exactly right, it kind of transcends but there's so few moments i mean when i want that kind of energy I, i'll i'll reach for my slits album um not this 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 really felt feels like a uh um you know 
close but no cigar sort uh-huh. of um, a, a approach to this sort of avant-garde post-punk art rock. Um, I don't know. I mean, I will continue to listen to it, and, and maybe it'll click at some point. But all right. Well, moving on, I suppose. Yeah. So I am still. I still struggle with wrapping my brain around the fact that we're talking, uh, we're about to talk about the pretenders on this <laughs> podcast yeah. because, um, and I like the pretenders. I think mm-hmm. they're just fine, but my contact, I mean, it wasn't until just a couple of years ago that it ever occurred to me that you, that the pretenders would come up in a conversation about, post-punk and new wave because a hundred percent growing up my exposure to the pretenders was hearing them on the radio and it was like the pretenders were wedged right in there between you know tom petty and bruce springsteen and um fleetwood mac and all of that, you know, it just said, it just said, it was like classic rock. Pretenders have always been classic rock. Um, And I really struggle with, with, you know, recalibrating the idea that, that um, the pretenders are a post-punk new wave band. Now they are, I'm not disputing that. This is purely, um, I am purely a victim of my own circumstance as far as my exposure to to uh, the pretenders, but they are 100% classic rock baby boomer music to me. Well, it um, does it does go to show the power behind a radio station and how they yeah. put their playlist together. And I, I want to say that when I, I lived in the Valley, Central Valley, California, and the last time I heard the classic rock station there, they were playing Metallica. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so I mean, that could be all over the place. I remember the pretenders being on classic rock stations, like mm-hmm. in the mid to late eighties, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and so it's just, it, there's, there's cognitive dissonance for me in my brain. Um, when I'm talking about the, uh, the pretenders. You kind of expect them to tour with like Dire Straits or something. Yeah, yeah. I, I bet you they did tour I with Dire Straits did. at some point. <laughs> <laughs> so, so let's talk about this album. Yeah, this is the eponymously titled debut album. Um, Rolling Stone magazine thinks it's the uh, twenty best album of the eighties. And the 155th greatest album of all time. Um, when it was released, it uh, debuted as, uh, as in the number one slot in the UK charts and actually hit uh, the top 10 here in the United States, which at the time was no small feat for a, a post punk um, band. Uh-huh. So, Chrissy Hines, the lead singer, uh, and primary songwriter, you know, she, she really was part of the original punk scene. This, I'm, this is not a news flash for you. You knew this right. long before 
I did. In fact, you were the one who kind of brought me up to speed for mm-hmm. or for her relevance in in these sort of conversations. Um, and she was at one point or another, she was like almost a, a member of the Sex Pistols, the Clash, and the Damned. So <laughs> talk talk about. Um, credentials talk about some bona fides wow amazing huh i mean you know she she's in all the photographs too if you look at pictures of parties and you know uh she's she's there nick lowe our buddy nick lowe um in my estimation a much better producer than um artist he produced their first single stop your stopping but chose not to produce the album because he thought the band was, quote, not going anywhere. Oh, my God. Yikes. <laughs> Boy, Nick Lowe. We thought we, I don't know, man. That is bad choice. <laughs> bad choice. Uh, Chrissy Hines, of course, um, was born in Ohio and then moved to London um, in her 20s and As you stayed, do. stayed there for a long time and was was right in the heart of the, the punk scene. This is one of those albums, one of those few albums where I feel like all of the famous songs, all of the hit songs are the best songs. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, right. I think as far as like public opinion I rarely gets it right when it comes to um, what songs are 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 elevated off of albums, but I I I think they they really is you know the most famous songs off off of this album are "Stop Your Sobbing," "Kid," and "Brass in Pocket," which is one of just the greatest rock songs ever i I just absolutely uh i i admire that song so much um and but there there is a lot of um other types of songs off of this album i think uh my enjoyment of a song runs kind of parallel to like how fast and energetic the song is. So as soon as uh, she gets into her ballads, she completely loses me. Um, Mm. But we both zeroed in on probably the punkiest song off of this album. Um, So what what is that song? Well, I I zeroed in on that because that's kind of what I want to hear right now. You know what I mean? I'm in that zone. Um, But uh, the song I picked was a tune called Phone Call. song was probably the the last nail in the coffin for like my resistance 
to thinking of the pretenders as a post-punk um band because this is this is a legit punk song um obviously created by somebody who is living and breathing the scene in real time um mm -hmm. i like this song a lot uh, the song that I picked is super solid, much more kind of like typical pretender song, but one that um, probably most people aren't as familiar with. Super solid, very catchy uh, pop rock song called uh, Mystery Achievement. I don't know, man. I have just been waiting, waiting to put some pretenders on this show. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I'm glad we're here. So you're a fan overall of the pretenders? Uh, overall, you know, I, I'm mm -hmm. I'm with you on the whole ballad type of thing. It it's I, I like the high energy stuff mostly. I like you know the punkier stuff. So so yeah, I, and I I do think Christy Hines kind of brilliant. So. Mm -hmm. um, now, the particular song that you picked, it's, I got to say, is a far better show of Christy, uh, Chrissy Hines' vocals than the song I picked. She, <laughs> she, she shows her range. I mean, she yep. gets in there. And, of course, this is the Chrissy Hines, the, the voice that we know, yeah. you know, um, where she doesn't quite do that in, in phone call. Um, but this is, I mean, this is just amazingly classic Chrissy Hines right here. And, and. I, I don't even think, I don't think she ever really veers off of this path, you know, for the rest of her career. I mean, this mm, is, this mm -hmm. is, this is the Chrissy Hind we know. So it's good stuff. So I want to bring something up that is just kind of only um, partially relevant to our conversation about Chrissy Hind. This is, and, and the pretenders, this is sort of just a, a, a call out a plea to our audience um there was a uh like a b movie i think it was like a canon movie that was released in the mid to late 80s called dangerously close are you familiar with this movie i'm not so the only reason I'm familiar with it is somehow I got my hand on the soundtrack to it. And then many years later, I actually saw it. Actually, we had it at the video store that you and I worked at. So oh, I finally I'm got to see it. Not surprised by that. Yeah. <laughs> so so I, I had this soundtrack uh, when I was in high school. Um, and it had some pretty good cool stuff like the first time that I ever heard um, 
uh, Blood and Roses by the Smithereens. Uh, so first time I heard Smithereens, uh, it had some like Lords of the New Church and uh -huh. some other stuff that was pretty cool. But my favorite song off of the album was a song called Find Your Own Way by a band called Lost Pilots. <laughs> I I had I had this on cassette, and of course I lost the cassette long time ago. You can't find this soundtrack anywhere. And the lead singer on this song sounds is a dead ringer, vocally for Chrissy Hines. So wow. so found your own find your own way is like a really cool pretender song in an alternate universe. If anybody <laughs> out there has a soundtrack to that album or knows where, where to track down the song, find your own way by the lost pilots. I, I've been, I've been dying. To, I, I haven't heard that song in like 20 plus years and I, I'm just dying to get my hands on off of it yeah. and so my friends at the time were i was going oh yeah this is my new favorite song there you gotta you gotta listen to the pretenders and i'm like oh you mean the band that's always playing on the classic rock stations <laughs> ah! <laughs> that's great anyways <laughs> So that is the Pretenders um, debut album entitled The uh, Pretenders. I, I do anticipate that it is going to make a lot of people's lists. Uh, I predicted that it would make the final top 10. Uh, not in serious consideration for me. Um, there is a part of me that just, it just can't get too excited about this album in the the context of post-punk and new wave that's my own hang up i take full ownership of it but you know it's my own personal top 10 list so fuck you that's right <laughs> <laughs> well it uh it has swam around i don't know my top 20 but mm -hmm. uh it's mm -hmm. it's not on my top 10 so Again, there's so much good stuff, man. It's it's a hard list, as you as we were talking about before the show. It's it's a hard list to put together. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well, we are almost completely out of time, so we need to stop here. Yeah. We are right at the halfway point, so um, six down, six to go. Next week's episode, we will cover the remaining albums. Those are releases by Throbbing Gristle, Punishment of Luxury. Wayne County and the Electric Chairs, The Fabulous Poodles, Angelic Upstart, and the Senceros. Some really interesting stuff. We're gonna it's gonna be lively conversations for sure. <laughs> there is really only one way to um, end this episode since we are pouring one out for Terry Hall. Uh, we obviously need to go out on a signature song by him. Um, this is a song that was not released on one of the studio albums. It was included on the mighty, mighty single of um, Ghost Town. And this is a song that was primarily uh, written and um, sang by Terry Hall. So, Rob, thank you, as always, for a very lively conversation. Yeah, yeah. 
And um, we will talk to everybody next week. See ya. Out of bed at 8 a.m. Out my head by half past ten. Out with mates and dates and friends. That's what I do at weekends. I can't talk and I can't walk. But I know where I'm going to go. I'm going to watch my money go. Okay, we'll try that again. Hey, everybody, I'm Rob. <laughs> and I'm not ready. <laughs> Hold on a second. Let me, okay. <laughs> let me take a swig here. And Joseph's gone.